0: I just want to let all y'all people know that old oh dirty bastard album. Excuse me, I burped, but don't worry about it. My album be out March the twenty-eighth, right? See, what's it called, dog? It's called Dirty. Nice. <laughs> Doodoo, doggy, rough <Ruff>, <laughs> rough, return. To the yeah, yeah. 36 chambers from the old dirty bass
1: The world is definitely missing this energy. The late ODB would always light up a room with his presence.
0: We here basically to get paid. That's it. Uh-huh. Woo- Ch- is it's our, it's our group name, you know what I'm saying? We, we, like we told you before, it's just dealing with the kung fu lyrics and all that, but we're here to get paid. We're here to get the cream. You know what I'm saying? We're here to open doors for our families, our babies, our children. We just want to get that money, that's all. I love to entertain, you know what I'm saying? But I love that money too. You know what I'm saying? So I'm here to get all the money that I can get, start crazy businesses, start crazy different chambers. You know what I'm saying? And just get the money. That's all. <laughs> get the money and, and have money for my little children when they grow up. You know what I'm saying? So they could take my business over when I'm not here. You know what I'm saying? That's all that's what I'm that's what Wu Tang is here for.
1: Welcome to the backstory podcast. And this is the story of the Wu-Tang Clan, part two. And in this episode, we'll focus on the Wu after the success of their debut album, 36 Chambers, and their groundbreaking deal with several different labels as solo artists. And the anticipation of all of their projects.
0: Hey Method Man, this is Donald Trump and I'm in Palm Beach and we're all waiting for your album. Let's get going, man. Everybody's waiting for this album.
1: The Wu-Tang Clan and the 36 Chambers album was a game changer, not just for the group themselves, but for the entire industry. I mean, hip-hop had its first initial success in New York, but the ties had started to change. And by 93, we're talking about four or five years because in the late 80s, you started to see the ascension of NWA, um, Eazy-E, and of course, the icon, Dr. Dre, who was producing this new sound for the culture. So with this success spurred countless other artists all up and down the West Coast. So, for instance, in 1991, this was really interesting when this happened. N.W.A. released their second album. It was really an EP. It was called Niggas for Life, which was a follow-up to Straight Outta Compton. It went number one immediately, which was shocking not only because of the title, because that was very controversial to have an album called niggas for life in 1991. It would be controversial today, but because the album was so hardcore, I think the music industry wasn't prepared for it. They it just, there were all kinds of articles written and people talked about it because in that moment, you know, when you went to the billboard charts, it said niggas for life. General market American teens were buying up NWA and it scared to mess out of everyone. And this Niggas for Life album also sent a message to everyone else that the West Coast was a serious challenger to the East Coast for hip-hop supremacy. You see, everywhere else in the country, they didn't have the same natural bias that East Coast had against anybody else other than East Coast. In the South, they didn't care. I mean, they had their own artists, but they didn't care where you were from and they accepted you. This was a big deal, this album and this energy that was building. And Tupac was a, a first a solo artist in 1991, and he was on Interscope, and he released his first album, which wasn't the big fanfare that he, that he had ended up becoming. But this is just the beginning of his run was in 1991 as a solo artist. Again, all of the industry is based in New York. New York really is where it all started. All the labels are there. Most of the artists are there. And now the West Coast is sort of dominating the music business. This is 1993, and the East Coast psyche needed a jolt. We needed something. So that year also saw the release of a Tribe Called Quest classic album, Midnight Marauders, which in my opinion was the height of their success. Then later that year, 36 chambers from the Wu-Tang, which introduced a grimy sound that was the kind of next wave of East Coast music smoldering under the massiveness of Dr. Dre's hypnotic, funky West Coast sound. Then you also had Ice Cube, who was a solo artist as well, but Ice Cube came to the East Coast to work with the Bomb Squad, which was down with Public Enemy on his album, but he still had a little bit of that West Coast sound. That's why I always say Wu-Tang really helped start this renaissance of East Coast artists and East Coast music. Another album released earlier in 1993 was the debut album from Onyx with their hardcore album Back the Fuck Up. The first single was Throw Your Guns, which came out in 92. There's no way you could do a song like that today. That song was wild. That group was wild. They had another big song in 1993 called Slam, which ended up becoming a pop song as well. So again, we're in 93, and this new energy from Onyx, from Wu-Tang, From Tribe Called Quest, which they were really more established, but they were still established East Coast. It would really pave the way for a run of incredible, memorable classic projects the following year. So 1994 gave you Illmatic from Nas. I did a previous backstory podcast on Nas and the impact of this album and the impact of Illmatic. Ready to die from the notorious BIG, Hard to Earn from Gangstar which was a masterpiece of beats from DJ Premier. The Sun Rises in the East from Jay-Roo the Damager. If you don't know about Jay-Roo, this was another East Coast artist with an album featuring this gritty sound. DJ Premier was another one of the major producers on the East Coast banging out these classics. Another group that a lot of people don't talk about is Organized Confusion, which featured the rapper Pharaoh Munch, which a lot of people know. They released the album in 94 called Stress. Again, go back and listen to these albums. These albums are really good examples of this sound and this energy that was coming from the East Coast. The producers on this album were Buck Wild and Rock Wilder, who would eventually become bigger players um, in production in the later 90s and the early 2000s. They, along with DJ Premier were sort of the architects of this new sound that Wu-Tang helped launch with the RZA the year prior to that. The South wanted in too. I mean, this energy would also lead to the classic debut album from Outkast out of Atlanta called Southern Playalistic Cadillac Music, which had a gritty, grimy sound. It was underground beats from the South on a major R&B label. This was a big deal for LaFace, just didn't have any kind of artists like this before. And the album was a big success and really kind of launched the whole energy out of the South. So that's a little bit of the picture of what was happening in 94. Hip-hop was exploding, and you can kind of say Wu-Tang was leading the way. The RZA was busy during this time. In 1994, he put together a supergroup under the genre in hip-hop at the time called Horrorcore. The group was named The Gravediggers. The name of the album was Six Feet Deep, and it was sort of the stars aligning of a talent. Think sort of like a watch to throne, but with a collective of successful artists and producers up to that point. The Gravediggers consisted of the RZA, who was known as the rza producer Prince Paul, a.k.a. The Undertaker. Now, Prince Paul, he was another guy that doesn't get the props he should get. He was in hip-hop's first band, Stetsa Sonic. Go check out Ghost Stetsa, Sally, talking all that jazz. But Prince Paul's claim to fame was really being the mastermind behind De La Soul and their massive first three albums. I mean, Three Feet High and Rising, when that came out in the late 80s, was a game changer, similar to what Wu-Tang's album was in 93. Prince Paul was a very creative producer with a unique sound. Also in this group was Fruit Quan, a.k.a. The Gatekeeper. He was a member of Stetsasonic and the late Poetic, a.k.a. The Grim Reaper.
2: Man, yo, great, great niggas formed from the darkness of the universe, i sir?
3: The life we live is like a horror movie, I'm, saying. I'm saying The struggle we go through is like a horror movie. When you hear the album Wave Digger
1: Six Feet Deep.
3: Well sir, six feet deep. That's 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 deepest. That's going into the dark. That's six
1: times. They released the album Six Feet Deep in the summer of nineteen ninety-four. And because of the success of Wu Tang's thirty-six chamber a year earlier and the combination of so much hip hop energy, it garnered a lot of interest. And the album was a classic. In fact, go stream it right now. I promise you the beats, the lyrics, the energy. It was just a really, really good album from start to finish. If you love hip-hop, you'll love the Grave Diggers. And in the summer of 1994, I remember I booked them to do a show in Philly. And actually, I had Jay-Z, who was at that point a part of the group Original Flavor. He wasn't really Jay-Z, the solo artist, yet. He opened up for them. I had uh, Buster was there. I had all these really cool people. So I, I just remember that Greek picnic Philadelphia in 1994 because the Grave Diggers didn't do a lot of shows and they did that show. That was really a, a cool moment for hip hop. And, and we didn't have cameras and we didn't we, we didn't capture stuff like the way we capture stuff now. And um, that's something I think about often. The Grave Diggers were really the first project after 36 Chambers for the RZA, and they had an impact.
2: Being that us, Grave Diggers and the Wu-Tang, we are East Coast-based rappers, but also within the whole family structure, you know what I'm saying? Grave Diggers are veterans and have seniority within the game. Um, 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 You have new individuals, new rappers that's coming up, you know what I'm saying? And they're being guided well. Some rappers are coming up young, and they're not being guided. By, by, by their own originality, they're being guided by a, a higher power in the record label who's telling them, "I want you to sound like this guy." You know what I'm saying? But even though the family relation, uh, the family relationship between us and the Wu, it's like this album you hear all Wu Tang production. You know what I'm saying? So the beat is all Wu Tang, but lyrically, Gravediggers we write our own lyrics. Nobody write lyrics for us.
1: So the summer of '94, you have the Gravediggers. Then a few months later, you get the next Wu-Tang-related project. It's Method Man's debut solo album, Takao. Now, Takao was similar to Wu-Tang. It was an acronym meaning taking into consideration all lives.
0: Basically, you know what I'm saying? The album is L, like my surroundings. You know what I'm saying? I represent my peoples to the fullest because I be the family man. And the clan represent the family. You know what I'm saying? Word up.
1: Keep in mind that it made sense for this album to come out because Method Man was really the first high-profile Wu-Tang member. He really stood out. I mean, he had the B-side to protect your neck, M-A-T-H-O-D, man, which was an ode to him, and fans wanted more. And once they started venturing into the solo part of it, fans were scared because the group was so successful, many feared that they would break up. But a recurring theme throughout their solo journey, most of them took, was that the W, Wu-Tang, came first.
0: This is like extracurricular activities for myself, so I can shine. You know what I'm saying? The Wu is still together. Matter of fact, the next album will be late 95. Look out for that piece, too. Look out for that piece.
1: Takao was not a disappointment. The first single was Bring the Pain. It was released in the fall of 1995, and it picked up where Method Man's last single left off. The video visuals were memorable. He had this whole dead-eyed bit that he would do, Um, They filmed the video sort of in black and white, a little bit of color, and it had that same gritty feel that Protect Your Neck had and Method Man's single had. There were no women in the video except in the last scene with a flashback of a drunken mother passed out and a young Method Man taking money from her purse. The difference, though, with this project is the multi-million dollar Def Jam machine behind it. The marketing was pumped through every major U.S. city. The Takao logo was an upside-down Wu logo, but it felt compatible. So you could see how this benefited the Wu brand, and Wu-Tang's label, Loud, went along for the ride. Def Jam pushed the button, and Bring the Pain, with PLO style as the B-side, was the perfect setup for the Takao album. Years later, comedian Chris Rockwood name his tour Bring the Pain. The second single offered to Cal was Release Your Delph, with a hook based on Gloria Gaynor's disco classic, I Will Survive. It had every club going. Again, the rizza came with fresh, exciting beats. Method Man was the breakout star from the Wu-Tang Clan.
0: Well, I think it's the feeling and emotion that I put into it. You know what I'm saying? I take my time with each rhyme so that everybody can relate to it. Whoever been through the struggles I've been through is going to relate to my music.
1: Now, I mentioned how there were no women in the Bring the Pain video. This was sort of a theme from this era. Most of the videos were all a bunch of dudes nodding their heads from, from Wu-Tang to Mob Deep. It was a man's world. Method Man, though, would change the game. The third track from the album was All I Need. It featured a very dirty rizza beat that went so hard, but when it was time to release it as a single, something very special happened. And one thing you should do is go back to the Tacao album and listen to the original version of All I Need before we get into this remix, because then you'll have an understanding of what I'm talking about. At that time, of course, one of the biggest R&B artists was the queen of hip hop soul, Mary J. Blige, who two years earlier, after being a background singer, released her debut album, What's the 411, which, similar to Method Man's Wu-Tang Clan, had a tremendous success. What's the 411 sold 3.3 million copies and Mary became a household name in every hood. In 1994, Method Man and Mary ascended at the same time. The day after Method Man released Bring the Pain, Mary released her first single from her second album, Be Happy. Two weeks after Method Man released Tacal, Mary J. Blige released her classic second album, My Life. If every dude that liked hip-hop loved Method Man, every female that liked hip-hop and R&B loved Mary J. Blige. Def Jam executives had the idea of flipping this song into a duet. Method Man didn't want any part of this. He felt softening the song would ruin his hardcore image. Label head Leeor Cohen asked Method Man, what would it take for him to do this version? He asked for a new car. So he got cash instead and invested it. The label a and initially pitched Lauren Hill, who was an unknown member of an up-and-coming group called the Fuji's, who hadn't popped yet, but they were about to ascend, and I'll talk a little bit about them as we continue on this solo journey for Wu-Tang. Lear Cohen laughed the a and out of the room. He didn't know who Lauren Hill was. It just so happened, though, that Mary J. Blige was a huge fan of Method Man and asked a Def Jam a to get her an autographed CD. This sparked the idea of putting them together. Mary's producer at the time, of course, was Puff Daddy. And Puff came from hip-hop, and in that moment, he was the remix king. He put a masterpiece of remixes together for many a different artist. So this all aligned together to make perfect sense. He put together the remix based on a legendary Motown collaboration of Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. The remix was, I'll Be There for You, You're All I Need. And it changed the course of Method Man's career. The song was a massive success, hitting number one on the R&B charts and number three on the pop charts. Method Man became a sex symbol and would not have male-only videos anymore. At one point, other singers wanted a piece of Method Man. In fact, Erica Badu, who was another very successful singer at that time, featured him in her Next Lifetime video with fellow hip-hop legend Pete Rock. Tikal went on to sell 1.6 million copies. Next up.
0: My name is Old Dirty Bastard. You know what I'm saying? I don't hide nothing back. I, I barely. I, I mean, I mean, I come from a family man of, of poor welfare. You know what I'm saying? I, when I came out my, mom, my my mother's womb, I was on welfare. You know what I'm saying? So 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 it's like you gotta keep it real. And, I mean, you see if you if you jump if you jump into anything and you try to change your way, see, cuz see it's like okay where, where I come from in my neighborhood, my people know me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. See, if I try to come any different, they ain't going to respect me no more. You know what I'm saying? Because they, you know, people got that thing about themselves. You know, if you come from that neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? You can, you can get out the neighborhood, but you can never take the neighborhood out of the people. You know what I'm saying? But if, if you try to, like, jump and cross <laughs> over to the other side, people understand that, and they, they, they don't like that. That's why they don't be buying people music. See, we keeps it real. We, we always going to keep it real. This is, this is Wu-Tang, we, we on some mad reality, we showing how the streets really is. People may knock us, you know what I'm saying? But we showing it, you can't knock what's real, you know what I'm saying? We telling the truth, man.
1: The most compelling member of the group is Russell Tyrone Jones, a.k.a. ODB.
0: Let me let y'all know, yes, we are live. <laughs> and the show just started, just because you don't hear no music, just go with the flow.
1: He was sort of what Flavor Flav was to Public Enemy.
0: The wild card. Anything
1: goes with ODB, who was beloved by the people. And if you grew up in a hood, any hood, anywhere, you knew a guy like ODB. The guy used a replica of his welfare ID as the album cover. And on the eve of the debut of his album, took an MTV film crew to the welfare office in Brooklyn to collect his food stamps and cash his check. Unfortunately, for anybody else that was on welfare, that stunt was used as an example of welfare fraud. And it was during this time that the government revised its social safety net programs under the Bill Clinton administration. This was a bipartisan agreement. And what started to happen was everybody that was getting benefits could not get benefits anymore unless they showed proof that they got a job. It was all kind of things that kind of went into play. But unfortunately, this was used as an example is people on welfare aren't. Uh, working hard, they are mooching the system, and of course that's not true for many people. They need this to survive, but this was used as an example. And then, of course, one of his most famous moments in later years was him crashing the Grammys because Wu-Tang didn't win their nomination.
0: Please calm down. The music and everything. Everything. I I went and bought me an outfit today that costed a lot of money today. You know what I mean? Because I figured that Wu-Tang was going to win. I don't know how y'all see it, but when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. We teach the children. You know what I mean?
1: So, after the success of Takao, Method Man's solo album, the fans really anticipated what the RZA and his cousin Russell would put together. I interviewed ODB a few days before the release of his debut solo album. He had some drinks beforehand, and like I told you in the previous podcast how the Wu-Tang Clan almost cost me my gig... He almost cost me my gig as well.
0: When you see my album, <laughs> you gonna see something that you never seen before. Hey, hey yo dog. Break down that little
3: song thing you do before your shows, kid. Oh, what are you talking about?
0: Alright, it's something else music. This is dedicated to all the ladies in the house. It was written by Isaac Hayes, but it's dedicated from No Dirty Bastion. Ladies, if you see me walking down the street, now start to cry. Each time we meet Baby, what I want you to do is Walk on by Walk on by Make me leave That you don't see the tears So let me be The sadness, oh baby, I gave you when you see me walking, walking down the street. I break down and try, walk on by, yo. No, imagine no, but imagine if I would have kept singing though. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, was like look, your your grandmother would be like, get that boy off the stage. <laughs> you, you young, I, mean, I like that boy. That's right, it's different. Yo, to the to the to the yo to to, 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 to to the drug I feel like, yo yo yo, dirty, you crazy, but you gotta stop that. Sh-. <laughs> and to the <laughs> ladies, I love you too.
3: All right, A-O-O, I got the album right here, man. So we're going to drop a couple cuts right now. We're going to go into baby, baby, come
0: on. How you like that flavor? Dude? It's live. Yo, this is live. You're hearing a song. Hold on, let me take my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, he really took his shirt off in the interview and spilled a bottle of Alize all over the board. Our engineer was not too happy about this. I almost lost my job again. In the first week of January, in the winter of 1995, ODB dropped Brooklyn Zoo. Again, RZA delivered a fantastic beat, continuing that Wu-Tang grimy street sound. It was set off another explosive 1995 for the Wu-Tang Clan as ODB was the first of three solo albums released that year.
0: But forget about all that. I just want to let all y'all people know that old dirty bastard album. Excuse me, I burped, but don't worry about it. My album be out March the 28th, right? See, what's it called, dog? It's called Dirty. Nice. Doo doo doggy. Rough, rough. Return to the. Yeah! Yeah! 36 Chambers.
1: Return to the 36 Chambers was just that. It was very similar to Wu-Tang's debut album, 36 Chambers. So again, he comes by my show, and I just kind of keep the mics up, and he just takes over and at one point does a live performance on the air.
0: Yo, sorry, I'm sorry. I don't mean to go just crazy, kid, but... I just want y'all to know that when y'all hear me, hear me well, I'll send you straight to her.
1: This whole thing went on for a while. Uh, ODB is just really entertaining. And down the line over the next few years, he had this affinity for Philadelphia. So he would just show up in the city and show up at the radio stations numerous times over the next few years. Kind of what Flavor Flav did, because when Flavor was in Public Enemy, he he did the same thing. The second single off of Return of the 36 Chambers was an anthem. It was Shimmy Shimmy Y'all. The album went on to go platinum. Another Wu-Tang solo success story. We all loved ODB's energy and vibe. And again, in every community, there's somebody like an ODB that just really stood out. But sadly, he had been through so much, including being shot and almost dying, that you loved the guy and you cared about the guy, but you worried about him as well. This one part of my interview from March of 1995 is a real snapshot of ODB.
0: So the mad hip hop listener, you know, um, when I got shot, you know, what I'm saying it made me a little crazier. So I'm saying, just, you know, what I'm saying just let me, just let me go crazy. You know, what I'm saying, just respect it. Um, excuse me for cursing, you know, but um, for real, I got shot in my back, came out through my stomach. Happy to be here. You know, what I'm saying. So um, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make sure. That um, that all my fans and people that's not my fans, you don't it sound like I'm getting ready to tell a little poetry. <laughs> nah, for real, I want to make sure I'm, the peoples is with me, man, cause um I love y'all. I love my peoples. You know what I'm saying? And um, if, if it was if it was meant for me to die, then y'all wouldn't hear me lie. You know, not I mean lie, I'm not lie And goodbye. Yes. So let's fast forward to
1: the summer of 1995 and the next Wu affiliated solo project was a twofer. It was now time for Raekwon the Chef's solo project, but most of the songs on this album feature Ghostface Killer, the album only built for Cuban links.
3: The Wu-Tang Saga continues. Raekwon oh. the Chef, the next member, of, along with Ghostface Killer, the next members of the Wu to come out with an album. Right. What's going on, man? Tell everybody what's yo, happening kid, with Raekwon. We just, we just
2: been stacking up the hundreds, you know what I mean? <laughs> Getting ready for whatever, whatever, you know? But right. yo, basically, we just been blowing, you know? Everything is going according to the plan, you know? Okay. And, and it's like, it's like, yo, man, we here, man. We told y'all last year we was going to be here, man. Right. So that's how it's going down. And we're going to be here again. Okay. And again, you know what I mean?
3: All right, now tell me a little bit about this album, only built for Cuban links.
2: Yo, stocks hit them, stocks
3: Hit them, Yeah,
2: hit yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right. It's like this, though, you know. I know a lot of brothers, you know, they know what the link is, Cuban link, you know. It's like a, tr- a strong chain, though. But you know what I'm saying? Are we taking it as, as on some, like, the whole science about the chain is being tight, though. You know what I'm saying? Being well together and stuff like that, though. You know, if you have any weak link inside a chain, man, or inside the click, man, the whole, the whole click is liable to fall off. Or the, or, the whole, or the whole link is just about to be loose, man. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So, only built for Cuban links is, bros, they keeping they click strong. You know no what I'm saying? It's okay. holding the fork down. Everything is strong and, and well, bit like, well built like cement. Well, you know that. what I'm saying? So, everybody can live good, eat steak and all that. Okay. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So okay. That's the whole sign. So, uh, only built for Cuba Links, man, cause a lot, it ain't built for everybody. You oh, know what I'm yeah. saying? Okay. Would, uh, like we, Like we say, we, we wouldn't recommend this to little kids and all yeah, that stuff yeah, like that, though. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Only only like right. our like, ages like, and stuff yeah, like, like that. You ages. know what I'm saying? Like crabs. 18 and older, whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay. Okay. But um, but so uh, that's that's but meaning so right so there so it's like this in, in three short words, the chain don't break, man. Woo, we here forever, we ain't going nowhere. By us having our little solo careers and all that, that don't mean nothing. The love still stays there, kid. Okay. And Whoever gave us love, you know what I mean? Congratulations on the platinum
3: Wu-Tang album. 36 no Chambers. When is no the new doubt. Wu-Tang album coming out? I keep hearing all these different it's dates. It's like,
2: um, nah, we coming out like, it's some time of the winter because we got too many albums out right now. Yeah. Right. Because after this album, the jizz is going to drop. So we're going to do this like around in um December, December, January. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So okay. um, around around the around that look when it's it be like cold, this. around in that time It's like right this. There. We just going to keep following the cycle. You know what I mean? Okay. It's like yeah. every man gets like, like six months to doing his own project, and then we hit you with a next project, and then he left for six months. So it's like we gonna be here from the winter to yo. My joint is gonna ride to the winter. It's like like 95 summer. 95 to 97, we're going to have this lock.
3: Okay, yeah. so now y'all still a family right now. Oh, yeah, no blowing doubt. up all over the place. Yeah. There, right. No problems. Everyone's no still doubt. together, right? Yeah, yeah, still time. together. That's, That's good. And That's everything, good. And everything comes back Word together. Because you guys, I've, I mean, I've known you guys for like three years, and you guys have always right. been tight. When right. I first came right. out, and now y'all still, so y'all still, everything's still in. Right, again. all, right, right, all right, that, right. though,
2: but it's still love. It's major love. That's the knowledge that holds us strong like that. You know what I'm saying?
1: Out of all the people in the group, all the MCs, I always felt that Ghost and Ray were the most compatible together on tracks. You know, whenever they would do a song together, it was just like Batman and Robin. They were just going back and forth. And at this point, the Cuban Lynx was my favorite of the solo albums at this point in history, at this moment when I was hearing it, because I was, remember, dealing with every album that would come out. And you could feel my excitement in the interview over this album when I was interviewing them, again, on a late night This was a few days before its release. They show up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was supposed to get off the air at 2, but they showed up. And we had a great conversation.
3: Word up, Red, zone, Red, Red zone. zone. This album is so fat. I just got it tonight. I was telling them I just got it tonight, <laughs> and I went through, like, I, they would ask me what cuts I like, and I just named off, like, the first eight cuts. They was like, damn, you know what I mean? Word. I like everything on here. And this is the Riz's best album out of all, of, yeah, all that's how you feel. the albums. That's how you feel? I'm gonna show you right now, the you the like
2: the 50th person who said that, so but, I gotta yeah, take yeah. it. Well, it's yeah. like this, man. We, yo, the love is all good, and it's just getting us stronger, man. Well, can I all say one thing, though? You know what I'm saying? Do it though Because you know It's like It's like Everybody got their own flavor Matt of fact this is flavor He chose his own beats Dirty right. chose his own beats Right no doubt. We chose our own beats Right You know what I'm saying So I mean That's, that, that's where it comes out We got the air for this So we feel This is what's best Right here though. Okay You know what, right. what I'm saying And though. that Criminology
3: rap man That's Criminology
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Criminology
1: So Ghost and Ray Started the summer With Criminology Which was a hardcore Very loud track With samples From uh, Clips from the Scarface movie it was also the setup for Ice Cream, another Wu classic. Ice Cream was sort of a salute to women with Method Man on the hook. What's that all about, yo? It's, it's about
3: chicks. Right? It's about women, chicks, women, women, chicks, ladies, fly ladies, chicks.
2: chicks. Keep Second your party. nails done, Reeboks <laughs> rocking. Bamboo earrings.
1: Ice Cream lit up the summer of 1995, competing with Biggie's One More Chance. The beats and lyrics were on point on this album. You know, some of the tracks that were just fire was Incarcerated, Scarfaces, Knowledge God... Rainy Days, the regular version, and the remix. They did a remix to Rainy Days with a cool Harold Melvin and the Blue Note sample. Guillotine, Glaciers of Ice. Ooh, man, you just got to sit back and listen to these songs. Verbal Intercourse, Woo Gambino's, I could go on and on and on. Now, similar to what Method Man did the year prior with Mary J. Blige, Ghost and Ray teamed up with the hottest R&B group at the time, which was Jodeci. And this particular night, they had just come from recording this Remix with them and we premiered it.
2: Oh, this is this is some real live exclusive exclusive exclusive. Okay. You know what I mean? Me and Ghost, you know what I mean? We got honored to get down with a joint with somebody that I know everybody liked. Right. You know what I mean? And it was Joe to see, you okay. know what I mean? They had called us down to the, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, yo, we got some wool flavor for y'all. So I was like, what? Yeah. gonna see what's up. You know what I <laughs> mean? Me and Stark slid up there, whatever, whatever, and it was sounding right. So anything happened in one night, you know. Okay. Well, we're going to jump into that classic. right now. Jump into it, baby. A classic. Bro. All right. What's, nah, it, what's nah. it called? Um, it's, it's the Freakin' You remix. Freakin' okay. You remix. You know yeah, what I'm it's saying? Right. It's banging all that other
1: remix stuff that's out right now. The Jodeci remix took off that fall, and between Ice Cream and Freakin' You, Ghost and Ray were continuing the Wu-Tang Dynasty. Cuban Links went on to go platinum and considered a classic. That November in 1995, the fifth Wu-Tang-affiliated album came out, and the man who got his deal early on, but it didn't work out, got his redemption. And that's the Jizza. and he came with Liquid Swords. And this album lived up to the previous solo projects. Liquid Swords was really more of a hip-hop lover's album. The tracks that stood out to me were Duel of the Iron Mike Labels, which was his description of the rap label game in 1995, Fourth Chamber was ridiculous. You're out of luck like two dogs stuck. Love that line. And my co-favorites on the album was Cold World and Shadow Boxing. Meth had a verse on Shadow boxing, even though you'll love his verse, but you'll get lost in the RZA beat. That's just a great song. Liquid Swords didn't have huge radio singles, but it was a really a great album, song for song. Another platinum album from the Wu-Tang camp. And I know you keep hearing me tell these stories. Living at that time and being a part of it, like looking back, The Wu-Tang Clan was really a phenomenon in hip-hop. We had never seen anything like this. I mean, mean, think about it. I just told you about five platinum solo albums after a multi-platinum debut album. This is not just a hip-hop thing. This just doesn't really happen in music. So, 95 was a great year for hip-hop and a great year for the Wu-Tang Clan. Then came one of the greatest years in hip-hop, 1996. The hip-hop genre was bigger than ever with lots of huge projects. Think about 96, Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt. The Fuji's the score. Tupac gets out of jail and drops All Eyes on Me, double album. Then then we tragically lose Tupac and a few weeks after his death, drop Machiavelli. It was just a great time to love hip hop. Outcast release AT Aliens, the Roots release Illadelph Half-Life. De La Soul released Stakes is High, Red Man had Muddy Waters. I could go on and on, but 96 was sort of a watershed moment for the culture. And pretty much the Wu-Tang took 96 off as they recorded their second album, which was coming in 97. But the RZA was really paying attention, and that fall, they gave us a little taste of what was coming in 97. So in the fall of 96, Ghostface drops his solo album, Iron Man. Once again, I thought Cuban Lynx was my my high-water mark. Nope, it was Iron Man. That was my new favorite Wu-Tang-affiliated album. It was like the RZA took a vacation and came back with, like, the perfect beats and samples. I mean, Iron Maiden, which was amazing. Then it was Wildflower with the black exploitation clip from JD's Revenge. The beat kind of traps you from the moment you hear it, and then Ghost just gets so disrespectful. It's just a really good song. 260 with the Al Green sample, Assassination Day, Box in Hand with Staten Island Legends Force MDs on the hook, Daytona 500 still goes hard. Then, similar to Method Man a few years earlier, Ghost Does All That I Got With You with Mary J. Blige on the remix. Then it was Cam May with the Can We Try sample from Teddy Pendergrass. Yeah, you can really tell I love this album. Ghostface did it again a few years later with his follow-up to Iron Man, Supreme Clientele, and we discussed these great albums.
2: Yeah, it's been a long time. You know, I done went through my little trials and simulations and, you know, dropped that Iron Man album back in the day. You know what I mean? I didn't really get to do no songs and no shows. I had to, you know, go back to work with Wu-Tang and all that. Right. All that, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I finally just got my chance to go ahead and just work on this. Even though it took me like around a year and a half, you know, I went through a little bit of trouble. You know, I don't want to jail right, and all that. Right, right. So, you know... Now tell
3: everybody a little bit about that experience because from what I
2: understand that really changed you. Yeah, you know, you know, whenever you go somewhere, you know what I mean, and especially in there though, you know, at the same time you might go through your hell but it gives you a peace of mind and you know what I mean to help you focus on things, you know what I mean, the things that you was missing from just being out in the world. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you know, I came out a better man than that right there though, you know what I'm saying? And All right. came back and continued, you know, where I left off at. Now how much time did you put into this album? Like um like around that much time, except for the little four months that I missed when I was locked right, up, you right, know what I'm saying? Right. And then, um you know, going through a lot of, um you know, things with the company, sample sample clearances, like you can't use that, so you got to get back right, and right. get another beat, whatever, whatever. It's like, yo, I just, well, what I really wanted to do was just bring that old woo sound back, you know what I mean, that the right. people really been missing right. and stuff right. like that. So I, t- I focus hard on the music, you know what I mean? And I snatched everybody, you know what I mean, that I right. felt was p- proper and laid it down.
1: What? What I really love, though, about um, the RZA's production and all of the Wu-Tang projects were how they brought back old soul.
2: It's like, that's the era. That's where era we came from right there. You know, that was when times was real. That was the yeah. days of Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X and all of that, you know? So, it's like, we could relate to the struggle. And that music right there, That it just touched the soul. Yeah, that soul right mm-hmm. there. It's like, right. it's like you know, we was born, we was raised off that. You know, I used to get kicked out the living room when moms had her friends over there. Right. You know what I mean? But it's like, even when I went in the room, I still heard the music. Right. And for some reason It's like That's what made me The man I am today Like they, when I write my music And you hear the music It's like It gives me the uh, I'm a soul person You heard my last album right, Al Green right, right, The right, Delphonics right. All I got is you Is Mary J It's like I'd rather write music Off of that Than what I would do To regular beats Like right now that's hot. You know what I'm saying? That's I hot. But even
3: if you took a regular beat right now, you still will add that flavor into yeah. it. Somehow that old mm-hmm. flavor. I always right. love that about the songs because I think that the music now is not, you know, a lot of people don't focus don't, you know, yeah. they don't they don't, it's all different now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know
2: but what? The music, pardon me for a second, the music back then mm-hmm. was more realer yeah. than it is right oh, now. Oh Hell yeah. That you know, they, they used to play the instruments, you right. know, there's not no machine doing it.
1: Between Iron Man and Supreme Clientele, it was almost like RZA was hiding beats. You know, one of my favorites off of um, Supreme Clientele was Nutmeg, which will lull you to sleep. One, which takes you to another level. Saturday Night is sort of like a story. Apollo Kids was a movie. You still hear a lot of these beats. People use these beats to freestyle off of, and just use these beats in general. Buck 50, Meth delivers again. Mighty Healthy is a sophisticated track. Supreme Clientele was a, was another classic. My my favorite on the album was uh, Cherchez la Ghost, which took a sample of the Doctor Buzzard's original Savannah band club classic, Che Che LaFa.
2: It's like you know what I mean. it's my man Carlos. Had, you know, he had his wife on tape. She had sung it over. Right. But it was like, when I just, when I went, the way when I heard it, I don't know, it just, it just caught me. Right. You know what I'm saying? It just, it just came to me. It was like, and it was all meant. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, and I ain't, I ain't afraid to tap into other chambers. Right. It's just how you do it. Right. How you put it down. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, I just like, yo, I got to get on that. And I just, you know, me, snatched it up, uh, whatever we did it. What was fascinating about Ghosts
1: in this time period, hip hop was still extremely male focused in the mid 90s. It was like dudes making music for other dudes, especially the hardcore rappers. The genre was still day parted on radio, and the melodic, female friendly hip hop songs would start to take shape consistently years later. LL was actually always good for the melodic songs, and he would get major airplay, but everyone else, it was sort of hardcore. Ghostface had a passionate fan base, even though his music was so hardcore. Not often do you have ladies calling in wanting to cook for an artist. But, yeah, he was loved for sure. Check out this moment um, we had. This is a 29-year-old ghost face in his prime, and the women calling in to show him all his love.
2: What's up, baby girl? Nothing. I just wanted to let you know that um, I'm digging you, and a lot of girls don't dig y'all. Right. Don't dig Blue and you because they don't know what y'all talking about. They can't understand it, but right. I understand you. I dig you. Sure, indeed.
3: Right. That's get, all. You get the new album, huh? Of
2: course. What's your favorite cut? I like
3: Apollo Kids. All all I really right.
2: do. Cause right. I was like in the video from the beginning. Yeah. Love video is Yeah. And everybody was like, why you like that? I'm like, cause he hot, y'all sleeping, but.
0: Right, 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 right. <laughs> and I just
2: wanted to let you know, I don't really mess with dudes like that, but I-, I would mess with you, cause you real. AKA yes, Ghostface, What's the deal? I just wasn't know how old he was and if he if he had a wife or a girlfriend. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I got a girl and all that. You know what I'm saying? I'm 29. You know? Oh you are. Oh, you're my age. Yeah, all right. Okay. Okay. You gotta cook? Yeah, well, I was getting ready to say if you're staying in town, you can come and eat some dinner. <laughs> what you cooking, ma? Whatever you want. Alright, you know I you know no pork, right? Oh, I don't either. Alright. That's good then. Hello? Peace, 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 peace. It's a How
0: you feeling? Oh my God. Yeah. Go, space. Aye. Oh my God. I'm excited. What's up, baby? It's all real. Huh? It's
2: all real, mommy. Hi. Um, I wanted to know if I can make you some
3: ziti
2: What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You can definitely make me some ziti When are you going to come get it? Huh? We, we, we got, you got to leave a number behind, you know? We
3: got we got your number, Ma.
2: I told you I was going to call you back with Ghost. I ain't know Two you was D. telling this. You know how to make ZD like that, though? Yes,
0: I do. Real good, right? Mm-hmm. What's going on, bro? How you doing, y'all? I cop your CD. I keep playing it over and over. I had it before everybody. What? Uh, I even had it before the stores had it.
2: Do it. <laughs> 2 <laughs> and It's real. It's real. Just
0: let <laughs> you know that I am yeah. manly in love with you. Right. I have everything that you have ever had. You know what I'm saying? I got all your posters, everything. I'm not no uh, little girl. I'm 23. Right. So um, how long you want to be in
2: the city? You're going to be here for a minute, though. You know what I'm saying? You got to eat and, and yeah, stuff and politics. Be... I'm saying you staying overnight. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm you know saying what's up. What's up, girl? I need to see
0: you. You do? I it's, really do. It's like that? Uh, yeah. It's like that.
1: If Wu-Tang is for the children, then Ghostface is for the ladies. <laughs> So anyway, um, I kind of went ahead of myself. Supreme Clientele came out a few years later, but the interview that I did with them was during that album. So I wanted to share us having conversations about Iron Man and Supreme Clientele. However, in the summer of 1997, the highly anticipated follow-up album Wu-Tang Forever was released. This was a much different group by then. The sophomore album is always tough for any artist when you drop a debut classic. They came out in 1993. It was now 1997. Four years, might as well be 10 years in hip-hop. And at that particular time, during this renaissance of the 90s, things were moving at warp speed. So much had changed. Yes, the Wu kept giving us a taste over the previous four years through the various solo projects, but this album came out at a pivotal time in hip-hop history. Think about it. This was nine months after the death of Tupac, who... When this East Coast, West Coast stuff was happening, Wu-Tang had no part of it. It was also three months after the death of the Notorious B.I.G., which for East Coast artists, it really hit home heavy. Plus, between 93 and 95, Big and Wu-Tang helped bring New York hip hop back to the forefront. Now, I don't know this for a fact. I'm just guessing here, but you can kind of say that Wu-Tang paved the way in September of 1993, then Biggie dropped in 1994. Biggie was recording Ready to Die while Into the 36 Chambers was really being unleashed on the culture. There had to be influence. The, the RZA was sort of like the East Coast Dr. Dre with the tracks. Puffy was the remix king. Both Biggie and Wu-Tang owned the hip-hop scene on the East Coast and opened the door for several waves of artists. Wu-Tang Forever was a double album, and the beats were just what the culture needed. The sound was still raw, and the clan delivered a masterpiece in this second album. 27 songs, diverse MCs who have clearly grown since the first album. Then you add in some amazing beats, some unique samples. This was a big-ass album. It was like the RZA was the Pied Piper through all the solo projects, leaving little nuggets of what Wu-Tang Forever would deliver the tracks that stood out reunited for heaven's sake cash still rules a better tomorrow was an ode to life on the streets go listen to the lyrics to that song it's yours the track alone triumph which was the first single with odb leading away let's take it back to 79 the song was cinematic bells of war the mgm was a continuation of cuban links ghost and ray gave the fans what they expected on that track Dogshit was a continuation of ODB's solo project. Wu-Tang Forever would sell almost 700,000 copies in its first week and go on to be the best-selling Wu-Tang album to date, four times platinum. They would go on a world tour. I mean, this was the height of all heights for the Wu-Tang Clan. The group would go on to make other albums plus other solo projects, but success waned. I would probably say Supreme Clientele was a great win for them after Wu-Tang Forever. A few members did jail time for various crimes. ODB continued to become more eccentric in his behavior. However, he would get these opportunities to collab and had a few massive hits, including fantasy remix with Mariah Carey, which was a number one pop hit across the world, breaking lots of sales records. Sadly, he would die two days shy of his 36th birthday inside the Riz's studio of a drug overdose. His death hit the clan hard, especially the RZA and the JZA, his cousins. The group would continue to record over the years, but nothing made it to the level of the first two albums. In 2015, they recorded Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, an album which was sold for $2 million to one person and not to be released for 88 years. The one person that bought it happened to be scum of the earth. It was an American businessman named Martin Scarelli who owned a pharmaceutical company that jacked up the price of a life-saving drug from $13 a pill to $750 a pill, causing a lot of people to suffer. It was a major news story, mainly because Martin, when confronted about this drug going from 13 to 750, he was very arrogant about it and kind of shrugged it off. He was given the name Pharma Bro and became a poster child for the evil pharmaceutical industry. Angered by the negativity of this situation to the Wu-Tang brand, they tried to get the album back but were actually attacked by Scarelli. The guy was, you know, this is a very interesting um, story. You should, uh, if you're not familiar with it, you should Google it. They eventually um, donated most of the proceeds of this album to charity. The Wu-Tang Clan is an American success story rooted in hard work. Many that come from where these brothers come from don't experience the amount of success and life-changing opportunities that they had. The RZA started working on other projects under a new moniker, Bobby Digital, including scoring movies. He didn't stray far away from his original Kung Fu Wu-Tang roots. He scored his first film called Ghost Dog, which featured Forrest Whitaker. He directed his first film, The Man with the Iron Fist, And aligned with Wu-Tang fans Quentin Tarantino and horror movie legend Eli Roth, they kind of helped him with this project. This movie starred Russell Crowe. And the RZA was actually in the movie, and he acted as well. The RZA would also produce soundtracks for movies. He did Tarantino's Kill Bill movie soundtracks. He also acted in several big-budget films, including American Gangster with Denzel Washington. He even played himself on an episode of The Simpsons. Method Man would expand his horizons and team up with Red Man. They were both label mates. They were on various tours with Def Jam, and they ended up becoming friends. And then they became a recording duo and recorded and did a few albums together. Their, their debut album together was Blackout. And, and they were sort of like a modern-day Cheech and Chong. They even made a movie together called How High that featured uh, Mike Epps. One of my favorite collaborations that they've ever done is um, The Rock Wilder. You should stop and take a listen to The Rock Wilder. That song, is just a, this is a classic hip-hop track, and The Rock Wilder produced it, but it's just such a big record and best represents that Method Man and Red Man sound. Meth would expand even further into the acting world, and he, and he has appeared in over 40 films, including Belly, Red Tails, Shaft, he had a role in the critically acclaimed TV series The Wire. Um, he was in the TV show Deduce. He was in Luke Cage. Meth would even become the host of his own game show called Drop the Mic, which put celebrities in rap battles. The Wu-Tang Clan is still having impact today. Thank you all for listening to the Backstory Podcast. This is another Pod is Good production, written, researched, and narrated by yours truly, Colby Kolb, produced by DJ One Plus Two on the next Backstory Podcast, singer, songwriter, and actor, Neo. So right after that, I get a text from my assistant
2: like, yo, you're not going to believe this, but uh, Michael Jackson is about to call you. Oh my God! I you, just hung up. You on hung Michael up Jackson. on Michael Jackson. I just hung up on my. So he called back. I lied. I'm like, hey man, sorry, I was going under a bridge. Right. Connection. What's going on? Right. So he starts talking to me about music, telling me that he likes what I do. Right. But the whole time I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how I didn't crash the car because oh, I was, you were driving. I was driving.